Welcome back, everybody, to the Sports Gospel Podcast, our first show of 2022. Happy New Year. Happy to have you all with us. And Andrew is our guest host this week, and you know what that means? It's going to be a basketball-heavy episode. We did a lot of weeks of college and pro football. We may still sneak a few football topics here on at the end of the show, but we're going to go hard on the NBA. Now that it's after Christmas, this is when I think the NBA really starts to count. You kind of get an idea of who these teams actually are. And dare I say, maybe some college basketball. I have not watched that much, but Andrew is going to be our college basketball expert here in a little bit. But talking about knowing who these teams are at this point in the season, I'm going to ask you the first question right out of the gate. The Chicago Bulls, are they for real? Bulls on parade here with Chicago leading the East, not just playing well, leading the East at 25 and 10 as we're recording this. Are you buying the Bulls at this point now? Buying the Bulls in the sense of they're going to have home court in the first round of the of the NBA playoffs. And that's what I'm buying them for. I'm not buying them as a serious contender still. I think when things get down to the nitty-gritty, um, you're going to see the Bucks and the Nets kind of overcome the Bulls. I think either one of those teams would be a tough matchup, but I think the Bulls can be in that Eastern Conference semifinals, and depending upon – who their opponent is, you know, if they end up with the one seed, which they're going to be in the running for with the way they're playing, as long as they maintain health, they're going to be in the race for that one seed. I think they're going to finish in the top three. Uh, It'd be ideal for the bulls to end up with the one seed. So they could face like a Miami, a Philly, a Cleveland, a Washington, whoever, and avoid a Nets bucks second round matchup. I think the ceiling for the Bulls team is the Eastern Conference Finals, but it, but it ends there. So I think that's going to be really exciting for a lot of Bulls fans if they do somehow make the Eastern Conference Finals, but I don't think they're getting past the Bucks or the Nets. Even with the way the records state, um, they're just a step below either of those two teams when they're at full strength. I love what they're doing, and I love the style that they play with because – it's not like the modern NBA where they just shoot a bunch of threes. They got a little bit of a mid-range game. They get up into teams defensively. It's, it's a little bit of a throwback to an earlier time in the NBA, you know, 15, 20 years ago where everything wasn't pace and space, shoot threes or shoot layups or shoot free throws. The Bulls are kind of bringing that back, and, and I respect it heavily, but I don't think they're true NBA championship contenders. And permit me to play devil's advocate on the other side of this in defense of the Bulls, who have not been good for probably at least five years, maybe closer to a decade. They had that great run in the turn of the decade with Derrick Rose and Joe Kim Noah and Jimmy Butler was there at the tail end. But really, they've been a middle of the pack or bottom team for quite a while. So really fun to see them back in this. I love Billy Donovan. I think he may be the most underrated coach in modern basketball history in the last 50 years, what he did in college and what he's done in the NBA. But my point, why why not the Bulls? Yes, they may not have the big names, but who's been a better one-two punch this year than DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine? Zach Levine, we thought, was this highlight reel artist, and he's proven to be a legitimate starting uh, kind of that swing guard, small forward position. And then DeMar DeRozan somehow found a fountain of youth in Chicago. It looked like he was on the downhill side with the Spurs. That may have been more of a Spurs problem. But these guys are two of the top six scorers in the league, averaging 26 points per game. Uh, really shockingly comparable on the, look at their points, rebounds, steal, 
basically every category, points, rebounds, steals, assists, blocks. DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine look like they're carbon copies of each other. Now, I don't know how deep the team is behind that. You'd know that better than I will on the overall depth. But with those two, who can go toe-to-toe with them? You have to shut down one of those guys. This team is fourth in total offense, kind of middle of the pack in defense. But is there a team out there that can shut down both of these guys? Because I think you'll need to do that if you're going to stop the Bulls. Yeah, and I think that's that's Milwaukee when they're at full strength that can shut down this Bulls team. I mean, Middleton's a great defender. Holiday is a great defender. Giannis, obviously a great defender. He's always in the conversation for the defensive player of the year. The Bucks can throw out a lineup where they can switch one through five and feel pretty comfortable about it against that Bulls team. Um, and Holiday and Middleton can really take turns um, on DeMar and Levine. And they can throw guys like Pat Connaughton and DiVincenzo and Grayson Allen in a little bit to kind of annoy and George Hill. Um, but at some point, they'll get Brooke Lopez back, but Bobby Portis, Boogie Cousins are playing well. They've just got a lot of pieces in Milwaukee, and it fits well together both offensively and defensively. So that's kind of the team. The Nets, to maybe a lesser extent, they're not as much of a defensive juggernaut, but the Bulls would equally have problems trying to stop the Nets, and I believe in the seven-game playoff series that you know Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving might be a little bit too much for the Bulls to overcome. So, and, and you touched on it, depth. You don't know who's beyond them in that starting lineup. They have a little bit of depth, but it's not high-quality depth. The Bucks have high-quality depth. The Nets, not so much either. I'd say the Nets are a little bit closer to the Bulls, but I think the Bucks, when healthy, they're just kind of a cut above. And it's because of how they gel so well together on offense and defense, specifically defense, because that's actually the Milwaukee's calling card. So when the playoff intensity kind of, kind of ratchets up, things get a little bit more intense. Teams start getting into each other a little bit more. Uh, the refs let a few things go more than they did in the regular season. It's not just kind of a free-for-all. That's why I think Milwaukee's going to have an advantage. And also, Milwaukee's been there. They they won it all last year. They've been in the Eastern Conference Finals and come up short. I kind of look at this Bulls team the way I looked at those Raptors teams with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry before the Kawhi Leonard trade was made. Yeah, they were always great in the regular season. But when the bright lights would come on, they wouldn't kind of live up to the billing that they they had or the expectations that they had. They're also running into LeBron James, and I think Giannis is kind of a similar foe to LeBron in the when he was running through the East. I still would ride with the Nets or the Bucks to get through the East. I always am worried about Miami kind of lurking in the shadows, but I think the Bulls are the real deal in terms of a team that's going to be there. If you look at the Final Four, like you said, you want to stay away from the Nets and the Bucks as long as you can. But a seven-game series against the Cavaliers, I'll take the Bulls against the Philly, uh, Phillies. What's their name? 76ers. Give me the Bulls. Miami is tricky, and then those top two. But I think the Bulls are absolutely one of the four best teams. I, I think this is underrated and not talked about enough, and I forget it. Just how much cleaning house that Billy Donovan and the front office there have done to improve this team. 
say what we will, but I think Lonzo Ball has a lot to do with this since he's become the main man at the point there. Nikola Vucevic is a tremendous shooting big man. So when you have Levine, DeRozan, Vucevic, and Ball are all double-digit scorers, add in Kobe White, the young guy who could be the future of the franchise, and then uh, guys like Derek Jones and Alex Caruso that you've added through free agency, Io Dosumu, who's a rookie that I love out of Illinois, I think the Bulls are actually here to stay. We've kind of been waiting for them. When are they going to fall? When are they going to fall? When are they going to fall? And it doesn't seem to be happening. Cleveland may be heading that way with what's going on with the Cavaliers. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think the Bulls are here to stay. And they're going to have some company up there. Uh, we can come back to the Bulls. But I want to talk about the biggest story that I think is in the NBA this week. And that's the Kyrie turn. Like what I did there. Kyrie yeah. Irving. Kyrie Irving coming back to the Nets this week. What a what? Are we getting too hyped about Kyrie since he's only going to play half the games at most? Or what? What are we making of the the big three finally coming together with the Nets? Well, I've got to I've got to see it in action before I can really give a good take. Um, but I think we shouldn't get too hyped until we really see what Kyrie provides and and how it gels. Um, it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment period here for a month or so with Kyrie getting acclimated. And then, yeah, you made the point about him playing half the games going to be a very tricky situation, especially if Kyrie's able to ride this thing out until the playoffs, you know, without getting injured or, or anything else happening, um, or him just walking away, which he's done before. I don't know how much they can really rely on Kyrie. Um, we'll see. Um, I was told that when he was, when he's back tonight, he's going to play a heavy amount of minutes. So I haven't watched any of the Nets game that's uh, going down tonight. Um, we'll, I'm kind of in a wait and see mode, but I wouldn't expect a whole lot out of Kyrie. And I think it could provide some interesting scenarios come playoff time. I mean, what if they have a home game seven and Kyrie can't play because that game's in Brooklyn, that's going to be a big deal. So um, to be determined, but I I honestly wouldn't expect a reliable um, him to be a reliable piece of a title run for the Nets. I think this thing is all on Harden and KD and they're going to have to be at their absolute best. Is has Patty Mills been running the point for them, or is it mostly Harden and Mills is off ball? It's mostly it's mostly Harden. And uh, your point about Lonzo running point, actually, they just put the ball in DeRozan and Levine's hands, and uh, Lonzo kind of plays off ball. And that's why it works so well, because Lonzo isn't really a ball-in-the-hands playmaker type of guard. He's actually just like a really willing passer from, like, the wing. Um, and that's... I think that's really a good role for him when he has other guards who can dominate the ball and make plays. Lonzo's really just there to catch and shoot threes or make the right pass, make the right play when he does get the ball. He can make plays with the ball in his hands. That's just not his primary function. He kind of functions as a secondary ball handler off the ball, kind of like what Patty Mills does when he comes into play. So potentially controversial opinion here. You've got Kevin Durant, leading scorer, probably the MVP of the league so far. We can get to that later. Harden and Durant leading the way. Patty Mills has been a nice addition in the backcourt. LaMarcus Aldridge, another guy who's from the Fountain of Youth. DeAndre Bembry uh, coming along nicely. Uh, Blake Griffin is 
still around. Joe Harris having a nice double-digit scoring season so far. And Paul Millsap is there. I love seeing these guys on these teams like the Lakers and Nets that you kind of forget about. Anyway, the question, controversial question, do they need Kyrie? They're number two right now in the East, 23-5. and five. And other than the Bucks, this current roster, I'm not sure that I'm worried about anybody else in the East hanging with the Nets with the way Harden and Durant are playing. So is is it crazy to think that, you know what, we're good, we don't need Kyrie? I wouldn't go so far as to say they don't need him because I, I do think that when the playoff lights come on, again, he's someone who's been there. He's not reliable at this point in his career, but it, he's someone who's been there, done that, who's had moments and can still have moments where he can take over a game. Uh, you mentioned Joe Harris He's injured. He'll have to come back and, and get reacclimated. And when he does, I think that'll be a good thing. But it just puts a lot of stress on Durant and Harden because when the playoff minutes bump up, those guys are going to be playing 44 or 45 minutes a night. And it's not that they're not capable of it, but that kind of grinds on you as series kind of grind out. If you get stuck in a in a heated series with like a – Miami or the Sixers, if you fall down to that four seed or something like that, and you're the Nets, um, that's definitely what they want to avoid. But that second round series, everything from the Eastern Conference semis and in, I think is going to be kind of a dogfight because you might run into the Bucks, you might run into the Bulls, and that's going to be a six or a seven game ordeal for the Nets. And that's going to kind of just like wear on KD and and Harden and those guys aren't getting any younger. It's kind of the same thing that we see with LeBron. They kind of got to save it. So we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes. But I I think they do need Kyrie in the sense for a little bit here in the regular season, just so that they can kind of save their legs for that playoff run. You talk about the guys who are injured. I feel like it's been such a weird year of NBA basketball with all the COVID situations and all the injuries and some of these random lineups. I watched the game the other night and there were like five guys that I'd never heard of ever. And I think the famous one is Joe Johnson that the Celtics called Joe Johnson out of the big three or wherever he was hanging out just to field enough bodies to have a game. So a weird year, hopefully it gets straightened out. We have these issues aren't as bad come finals time, but Really, it's just kind of attrition at this point in the NBA season, and whoever can just get bodies on the floor, that's halfway to a win right there. Uh, Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, with injuries and and COVID issues and all that, it's kind of becoming just like a war of attrition. So the teams that are deepest are kind of going to rise to the top by the end of the season. So, And that is not necessarily the Nets, and that's really why Kyrie is back is because they were having – so many issues with injuries and COVID issues. If that doesn't happen, I don't know if Kyrie even comes back. That's a whole other question or debate. So um, they're really just bringing Kyrie back for, for that added depth. I mean, I think they were really planning on going this whole season without him and those plans changed. And now here we are. We will cross more of the Kyrie bridges as they come to us. That'll be one of the big stories throughout the year. Before we switch conferences, I want to touch on one team here in the East. They're still in that top six, which is where you want to be with the weird new playoff format. Still a solid record, 
But some recent injuries may be very well changing things. They're five and five in their last 10 games. And that's the Cleveland Cavaliers who, now that LeBron's not there, you can't not like the Cavaliers. You don't have to love them, but they're kind of the, the little engine that could. I, ironically saying that because they are so big. Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, uh, Evan Mobley, Kevin Love, Laurie Markinen, these four huge guys. And then basically Darius Garland as the one little guy who's having a fantastic year. So those five, I think, are a great starting group. I like Isaac Okoro as another body in there. But the injuries to, I believe, is a Colin Sexton's been out all year, and then they just lost Ricky Rubio. So the backcourt's taking a hit. Can the Cavaliers hang on, or without those two guards, is it going to be the same old for the Cleveland fans this year? I'm not sure that they can hang in this top six long term, um, but they're another team who's kind of zagged when everybody else is digging. I love what they're doing where they're just saying, you know what, forget about shooting threes. We're going to pound the ball inside, go inside dominantly, pound it into Mobley, pound it into Jared Allen. Mark and in can shoot from outside. Kevin Love can, so can Garland. Those guys can kind of operate on the perimeter, but mainly they they pound that ball inside and are really just physical. It's kind of like what the Bulls do, except to a lesser extent, uh, because they don't have the elite guard play. Uh, I think they can hang in the playoffs, but I think they're looking at possibly dropping into that uh, play-in tournament. They're going to be in a battle for that all year with the Wizards, with the, the Hornets, the Raptors, Celtics. They're going to be in a battle to stay in that six seed. I think they're going to be floating around that six to eight range for most of the year. And that's a... That's a big win for Cleveland fans just to be back in the playoffs. The last couple of years have been not after LeBron have been not good. So I think just to be back in the playoffs would be an absolute big win. And Evan Mobley, um, I think uh, he might win rookie of the year with what he's doing. The way the magic, the way the magic are going, I don't feel good about my Jalen Suggs pick. uh, No, Um I, I believe I tried to talk you out of that a little bit or talk it down a little bit. Um, I was not high on, on Suggs and his fit with the Magic. I think uh, Mobley has a really good shot at winning it. It'll, it'll probably go to Cade Cunningham, but I I did kind of have an inkling, a feeling that Mobley would be one of the better rookies, and that's played out so well. It's a little bit like – he's a little bit like Chris Bosh without the, without the shooting. Um aspect i think he can develop that over time it's just not there at this point in his career and i think uh i think that's going to come to fruition at some point and so big uh big break for the cleveland cavaliers for evan mobley to drop to three um i'd much rather have evan mobley than jalen green so i think that's really lifted the cavaliers and he's going to kind of be their franchise cornerstone well, they need something, so happy to see them moving in the right direction. And I lied. There's one more team I want to ask about who's moving in the wrong direction. They're a team that I totally bought in on after getting swindled last year. The Atlanta Hawks. What is wrong with the Hawks? You have uh, Trey Young, as you might expect, is one of the league le- league's leading scorers, I believe, top three in points per game right now. He's playing night in, night out. John Collins is there. Clint Capella is there. Cam Reddish is there. Gallinari's playing. Lou Williams is playing. Bogdanovich is playing. And the Hawks are still awful. What am I missing here that the Hawks are in a tailspin? It's kind of unexplainable. I mean, 
they were one of the teams that got hit with some COVID issues. Trey Young was out for a bit. Um, but that's really no excuse. This roster is deep enough, talented enough for them to be an above 500 ball club. And they're 16 and 20. I do think that by the end of the year, we'll be talking about them in that play-in hunt. Uh, but that's where they're going to be is in that play-in tournament with the way things look right now. Uh, I think Trey Young and the, and the pieces that they have are just too good for them to stay where they are at 16 and 20. So I think we're going to see them kind of maybe in that hunt um, for the play-in tournament, and we'll see them there at the end of the season. It's been a very disappointing performance so far, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on there. They're on the outside looking in, saying could maybe be set up the Pacers and the Knicks. How are these teams that bad if 10 teams get into the playoffs and you're on the outside looking in? Let's do a, let's do a quick little exercise here. So if you have your play-in tournament, you've got the Wizards and Celtics. Speaking of teams disappointing, I don't know what's wrong with the Celtics. Uh, so Wizards-Celtics, who would you take to win that? I, I would take the Wizards at this point because the Celtics, I, I've watched them, and basically their whole offense is give the ball to Tatum or, or Jalen Brown and let them go one-on-one, and, and then if nothing good happens, they're just out of luck. Um, and I don't think you can win – a playoff game like that. The, the Wizards, um, they're a little bit more cohesive. Bradley Beal can go off and do his thing at any given point in time, but they, they kind of got some physicality with like Montrez Harrell and Daniel Gafford up front and KCP on the wing defending. Dinwiddie was kind of a good playmaker. They have a, have a little bit more depth, solid role players, guys with defined roles than what the than what the Celtics do. So I think I would take the Wizards in that matchup. And then in the 8-9, you'd have the Hornets and the Raptors. I take the Hornets. I think they're, uh, again, a little bit deeper. Um, you just love LaMelo. Yeah, I love LaMelo and the style of play that the, Hornets, that the Hornets have. So I think I would take the Hornets in that matchup. I think a Bulls-Hornets... First round series would be a very fun series. So ball versus ball. Yeah. LaMelo versus Lonzo. So that's kind of what I'm what I'm hoping for is a Bulls Hornets series in the Eastern Conference playoffs. Now I think the Bulls would win that in maybe four or five games, but I think it could be a little bit in- interesting. So you would have Bulls over Hornets to get into the semifinals. So yep. you're two you're two seven, you'd have Nets Wizards. Yeah, I think, you know, Nets in, in five, maybe maybe Bradley Beal can steal a game, but uh, Net, Nets in, in five or so, maybe even a sweep. And then your 3-6, Cavaliers-Bucks. Cavaliers-Bucks, yeah. Milwaukee will, will win that, but maybe a little bit closer than people think. I think uh, Bucks would win that in six. Yeah, I can see the Cavs stealing a few games with that size to combat Giannis. Yep. And then your four or five, and maybe it's just me, but I feel like these teams play each other in the playoffs every year now, but you've got the Heat and the Sixers. Yeah, it does It does feel like they've played each other in the playoffs a couple times in a row here. Um, I just like the cohesion of the, of the Heat team when they're at full strength, when you've got Jimmy and Bam and Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. And now P.J. Tucker, I think they're just a little bit more of a complete team. 
Uh, I love Embiid and what he's doing. He's putting up great numbers again. And uh, he's the kind of guy who can steal you a game or two, maybe in a playoff setting. But uh, the Heat are kind of the perfect team to combat Embiid with Bam Adebayo. So, uh, and everybody else that they can throw at him too. Uh, he, you, so. you said that the Heat had that kind of teamwork and camaraderie and cohesion. Are you implying that there's drama in Philadelphia? Yeah, I think I'm implying that there's some mm. drama there in Philadelphia. Not, um, not breaking any headlines there? <laughs> nope, not breaking any headlines. I think it's well known. I believe I've said before, and I still say, you know, Ben Simmons going to get dealt. We'll see what they get back in a Ben Simmons trade. Maybe that could change my thoughts on Philly. But um, barring something miraculous happening, I just I just don't see Philly going far in this year's playoffs. So we've got the Heat taking them down. So we end with our top four. So your semifinals, you would have Bulls Heat. Yeah, that that is really tricky. Um, I, I like the Bulls so much that I really want to pick them, but I think this is kind of a series that could kind of go the distance. Um, I think this would be a seven-game series between the Bulls and the Heat. If that's the case, I like I like the Bulls in seven Ooh. in that scenario. Um, so I am going to take the Bulls just because they're kind of fun. They're kind of fun to follow fun to watch um it wouldn't shock me at all if miami was somehow able to overcome and sneak their way into the eastern conference finals but i think i'll I'll take the bulls because i'd like to see them ride into the eastern conference finals and then you have the big money matchup nets bucks in the semis this is very tricky because it some of it may come down to that guy we've been talking about kyrie irving um I think because of him only being a part-time player that we'll, we'll have bucks and six here uh, over the net. So uh, give me, give me a bulls bucks, Eastern conference finals. And you guys going to stick with your bucks. I'm going to stick with the bucks because of the, uh, the defense mainly that they can throw at, DeRozan, Levine, Lonzo, Vucevic. They have the, the size and the, and the defenders on the perimeter to deal with everything that the Bulls can throw at them. It won't come without challenge. I think that's a six or seven game series as well. Uh, I'd probably take the Bucks in six if I, had to, if I had to make a pick. It won't come without stress being put on Milwaukee. It'll, it'll definitely be a big test, but I think when it comes down to it, uh, Giannis will just be too much. We will see if your Western Conference predictions favor the heavyweights just as much because they have the heaviest of heavyweights at the top. The Golden State Warriors, 29-7, and seven, I would argue the best team in, in the NBA so far this season. Also one of the use, worst uniforms, those like Cavalier knockoff blue jerseys with the red letters and yellow accents i hate those golden state has such good uniforms i don't know why they need to mess with it and give something terrible but i digress uh golden state class of the west so far i think the best team in the nba and another return here clay thompson what's the updated timeline on him and similar to the nets 
does Golden State really need him? I know we all like Clay a little bit more, and he's a super likable guy, and we've missed having him around. But really, Golden State, they're humming right along without him. Well, I mean, 100% they need him. Um, without a doubt, I think they, they're not a championship contender without Clay Thompson. Um, everybody thinks about the shooting with Clay Thompson, but his impact is really felt more on his defense. His defense is actually really good. Um, and when that, that is going to matter in the playoffs, you're going to need him against a guy like a Devin Booker when he's going off against a guy like a Donovan Mitchell or John Morant or a Luka Doncic or a Jamal Murray once he's back or Russell Westbrook or LeBron James. You need you need guys that you can reliably trust on defense and you need an ace defender that can go out there and shut someone down when you need to. And that's been the guy that Clay Thompson was before the injuries. He was that guy who would go and shut someone down. KD when he was there too. And Draymond plays a good uh, defensive kind of rover, but he's not the kind of guy that you can say, go guard the best perimeter player on the other team and lock him down. That's what Clay Thompson really brings to the Golden State Warriors. So they 100% need him. As far as the timeline, um, I was thinking within the next one to two weeks is what I heard is when he'll uh, be back. And I, I think the sooner, the better. It will take a little bit for him to get acclimated and for guys to adjust to their roles um, and things, things like that. You know, Jordan Poole might play a little bit less. Some other guys that come off the bench that have been used to playing big minutes will take a step back. They need him, and it's going to make them a, a, a much better team. I think it's interesting to look at the Warriors' stats. Obviously, Steph putting up crazy points, top five in scoring. And then the guy you just mentioned, Jordan Poole, is third in points just behind Andrew Wiggins. So without Clay, and I don't know, what Draymond's way down in his points per game. I don't know what's going on there. But Wiggins and Jordan Poole are your next couple options. And then you drop down to Damian Lee and Otto Porter. And but any explanation why Draymond's so low on the scoring list? But my point being... Other than some heavy lifting by Steph, it's really impressive what the Warriors are doing without anybody else. A lot of these teams have the top teams have multiple guys scoring 15 or 20 plus a night. Yeah, and I, I think that's a good argument for maybe why Steph is the MVP favorite right now. Uh, I know you mentioned KD. He's actually probably third, honestly, when it comes to the MVP race right now. He's not out of it, but I, I'd say – this run that the Warriors have been on is a really good reason why Steph is actually the MVP, but he needs a little bit of that weight lifted off of his shoulders and the Warriors don't want to have to reliably rely on um, Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole. They've shown that they can do it in the regular season, but in a playoff setting, that's where Clay Thompson's going to provide value as well. He can kind of shoulder that load and uh, help give Steph Curry that that relief that he needs. Um, so I think I think Jordan Poole could be really good in a six man role, and that's what he'll revert back to when Clay gets back. So uh, as far as Draymond being down there on points, this has kind of been like a, a trend. 
for the past couple of years, but that's really not his value. His value is more as a, a defender and a passer. Um, he's really a great facilitator of the offense. Uh, they give him ball in the high post a lot, and he makes a lot of good reads, a good passes from there. And that's his primary value. So uh, I'm not so concerned about uh, Draymond being down on the points because that's kind of been the way he's been trending for the last couple of years. You can only have one of these three teams to make a Western Conference run. Who are you putting your million dollars on? The Suns, the Jazz, or the Grizzlies? I am going to the Suns, the Jazz, or the Grizzlies. Yeah, the two, three, and four uh, seeds in the Western Conference right now. Man, that's tough. Um I'm going to say Utah. Um, I like the Mitchell Gobert. Um, We've seen Mitchell explode in the playoffs. I I wanted so badly to say Memphis, but if if things kind of hold the way they are, I think Memphis is going to play their way into that four spot, which is tremendous. It's, it's, I did not expect this from Memphis. They're a lot of fun. John Morant has taken his game to another level. Absolutely. And it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. They're a very physical team as well. And they're not scared of anybody, but a second round matchup against the Warriors. I think the jazz have a a better chance of reaching the Western conference finals than the Grizzlies do. I'm not saying that the jazz are going to reach the finals because I don't think I would take that. Um, But I think uh, I would take the jazz out of those three teams. Um, The Suns, there's a little bit of, of they need a little bit more from their supporting cast. Jay Crowder's kind of having a rough year. I don't know if he's going to be reliable. And then sometimes DeAndre Ayton uh, forgets how dominant he can be, and they have to keep reminding him, like, hey, you're the biggest guy out there. You have an extreme mismatch against the Warriors. You're going up against guys who are 6'7", six, 6'8", six, and you're 7-footer. You just need to shoot a jump hook and uh, dominate over these guys. Basically, he he doesn't do it for whatever reason. So there's a little bit of a frustrating thing going on there. Uh, Something just lying under the surface that I I can't put my finger on with that Suns team. So I don't have a lot of confidence in them at this point. Memphis, I think, is the feel-good fun story so far in the year. Yes, the Bulls and the Cavaliers are nice, but... Memphis with John Morant, the high energy, the excitement, the fact that they've also been not really great. And even when they were great, it was Zach Randolph and Mark Gasol, and it was kind of bland compared to the Warriors Same, we were great at the same time. So it's fun to see Memphis in there. I think it's because we've seen the Suns and the Jazz do it that I have more confidence. But when you get into those final 20 games of the season, can the Grizzlies hold off the Nuggets and the two L.A. teams? I refuse to give any credit uh, credit to Dallas. However, I did watch them live in person not that long ago, last two weeks. Luca was not playing, but Porzingis went off. He is gigantic, and fans from other teams love to hate him, which is kind of a, just a fun fan experience. But he's really good at basketball, and he is very, very tall. It's and interesting to watch him shoot threes because he steps back quite a bit from the three, and you see this giant human being pop threes and fun to watch play basketball. So while I don't buy into the Mavericks, I am, I'm more of a uh, Porzingis fan than I was going into that game. 
it feels like those top four are really separating out. You dropped down quite a bit to my beloved Nuggets, who kind of look like they're riding the ship from where they were a month ago. Still not great, but as expected, Jokic is having a, another all-NBA type season. But what's going on with these two L.A. teams? I know that the Clippers don't try and their load management, yada, yada, yada. Nobody cares in that team until March. And then the Lakers, who are something. They're sitting around 500. Russ went off. Russ leads the NBA in minutes played, which is still crazy to me that even on that team and even at his age, nobody has played more minutes in the NBA this year than Russell Westbrook, which I really, really respect. But what are you seeing or, or expecting from these two Los Angeles teams? Um. Uh, you know, I'm not really expecting a lot from the Clippers, even when they um, do eventually make the playoffs here. I'm not really expecting a whole lot from them. I think uh, they're going to miss Kawhi Leonard in that setting. So uh, kind of counting the Clippers out a little bit and, and throwing a lot of doubt on them. Paul George has been great, um, but we see this every year where he's just phenomenal in the regular season and then just pulls a disappearing act in the playoffs. And I think uh, he can't, he can't carry a team uh, through a playoff setting. Really um, the Lakers right now, what's going on is the Anthony Davis injury is hitting them hard. Um, they really needed kind of like a full season out of Anthony Davis or as close to a full season as they can get. Um, but now it's a, it's a real struggle uh, they're playing these weird lineups. I mean, LeBron's starting at center right now, currently with this Lakers lineup. Uh, and it's working to an extent, but it's not something that's going to hold up long-term. Uh, I, I think the uh, Lakers are really just kind of like a middling playoff team that has a ceiling that isn't making it to the championship. So I don't really know that this team can make it there. There needs to be some kind of move made and I, they don't really have the pieces to make the necessary moves to put them in that championship contention. I know it's, it's really scary to count LeBron James out. It's not something that I think you should ever do. Uh, but I think this is a little bit beyond LeBron's control. It's just the way the team is built and the pieces that they have, the lack of depth, the lack of shooting, going to be a lot for LeBron to overcome. I mean, LeBron and Anthony Davis are going to have to play the best games of their lives for, you know, a, a month and a half straight if they're going to come home with the championship. And I just don't see it happening. Uh, they could definitely give um, one of these top teams a run for their money. Maybe, maybe surprise people and make the Western conference finals, but I really think that's kind of the ceiling for the Lakers. And I refuse to ever give up on a team that has LeBron James. He's averaging 28 points per game. Uh, like 28, 6, and 7, I think, is about what he's averaging. And like you said, I don't know what this team has to trade. It would have to be Talon Horton Tucker, wouldn't it? Because everybody else is kind of older, a lot of miles on the legs, or their role guys. I think the only you know, maybe Malik Monk. But I wonder, would like a a Wizards have somebody with it? Would they part with Bradley Beal for Talon Horton Tucker and some draft picks? Or we mentioned Atlanta. What about Indiana, who already looks terrible, but they have some talent. I don't know that they would want to give up Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis, maybe somebody like a Karis LeVert. I just shoot names off the top of my head here. But I'm trying to think what kind of move the Lakers could make 
then who they would I don't know who else they would give up or what they really need to get put over the top. Yeah. Um Taylor Horton Tucker and, and Malik Monk, those those guys aren't uh, gonna return a Bradley Beal or anything like that in trade value. I think they're kind of out of moves. And the, the problem is, is that they don't really have any future picks um, to give up because of that Anthony Davis trade, because of the Russell Westbrook deal. Um, they're really kind of tapped out on uh, future draft picks. It's a lot like the, it's all like another LA team, professional team, the LA Rams. They've sold all their picks and gone all in, but, um, the team around Anthony Davis and, and LeBron and Russ just simply isn't good enough. So I think uh, the Lakers are going to reach their ceiling possibly, uh, but they really need like a 2013 kind of LeBron for the playoffs. And I just don't know if LeBron can, can bring that at this age. So doing our, exercise here in the Western Conference playoffs. So you've got your weird that the Lakers and the Clippers are both in the plans. So you'd have Lakers Kings in the plan. Side note, I watched the Kings last night a little bit. It was just on at the bar. Love their uniforms. They have like the scripted Sacramento with the purple and black, purple and black and silver. First of all, it's amazing together, but they have some fantastic uniforms. Just nobody ever watches the Kings. Anyway, Lakers Kings in your plan. Yep. Um, I mean, I think I would take the Lakers there. The Kings are an up and coming team. They're just not ready. They've been up and coming for a decade. Yeah. And that's, that's true. They always get so excited. Look at all the young talent on the Kings and then they are the Kings. Yeah. That's a team that needs to make some drastic changes. Uh, They've got too many guards. They need to, they really need to, move on from like De'Aaron Fox and give this thing over to um, Tyrese Halliburton and uh, roll with him. Um, But I don't know what kind of moves they can make, but they really need to roll with Tyrese Halliburton and Davion Mitchell is kind of the future of the franchise and uh, go from there. Buddy healed a little bit too, but um, yeah, you're right. They've been up and coming for years, but they, they got to make some moves to get a true, a true superstar. Um, I'll, I'll take the Lakers in that matchup. Obviously, I think they just have too much talent, too many guys that have been there before, obviously. And then your 8-9, the other L.A. team, the Clippers and the Timberwolves, despite being 17-20, and 20, they would get into the playoffs. Who are you taking in that one? Man, I, I desperately want to pick against the Clippers because <laughs> I, I really just don't like that team, and I really don't Same. think um, – that they're a good team or would be a fun. Um, this is all for fun. So I would say, um, I would say the T-Wolves could win for that fun. in a one game matchup. For fun. This show is called sports gospel. Everything you say here is hard and fast. Well, fact it's going uh... to be a fun gospel then. Um, and probably <laughs> a wrong one, unfortunately. Uh, but I think just for the, for the fun factor, I'm going to go ahead and take the T-Wolves. I love Anthony Edwards. He has really built upon that rookie year that he had. He's kind of become the alpha of that team, and I absolutely love it. I think that's 
kind of what they needed was uh, someone to come in and be the alpha. I thought Jimmy Butler could do that, but strangely, Anthony Edwards, and I just did not expect it um, or see it coming when he was drafted, but he's just so much fun. And then Towns has been great too. And they've got D'Angelo and they've got Patrick Beverly, who brings a little bit of nasty to the team. Um, I know they're 17 and 20. I think I'll take, I'll take the Wolves in a one-game playoff. I know it would be a little bit weird for two teams close in the race, both in the Western Conference, but what about that? Send Cat to the Lakers in exchange for two guys and some draft picks. Um, I, I don't think the Wolves would do that. Um, I think they Ooh. they view, I think they view Anthony Edwards and Cat as virtually untradeable. They could send D'Angelo Russell back to the Lakers if you would want to go. Nope. Uh, I can see them wanting to do that, but I don't know what they would, what the Lakers really have to give that Minnesota would find of value. So, um, well, I, I don't think Minnesota would trade Towns. You are rewarding the Wolves with a meeting with the Golden State Warriors in your one versus lowest seeded matchup. Yep. And uh, that's where all the fun ends. Um, I think the Warriors would obviously win that series. I think Minnesota steals a game, but uh, the the Warriors would win that series. And then you've got the Suns and the Lakers, and what I think would be a very juicy series. And I'm guessing I would take the upset Lakers here. I don't know that you feel the same. Yeah, it's really hard to pick the Lakers in this kind of a series. I'm I'm going to do it just simply based on the you don't bet against LeBron James factor. But we saw this Lakers Sun series kind of play out last year. Obviously, these two teams aren't the same and I kind of talked about maybe like how some of the role players for Phoenix that really stepped up like Jay Crowder and campaign aren't doing as well this season. And I think, I think because of those things, maybe the Lakers can kind of gut it out, but this is going to be a, a six or a seven game ordeal either way. And then your three, six, the jazz and the Mavs. I like Porzingis. I love Luka Doncic. I'm a big Luka Doncic fan. But for whatever reason, um, this uh, this Dallas thing um, with Luca and Porzingis really isn't working out. And I picked the Jazz to go further than the Suns or the Grizzlies, so I got to go with the Jazz here. They're just the more complete team. Um, so sorry, Luca, you're still waiting on your first playoff series win. I don't know that there's any player in the league we are more different on than Luka Doncic. I may be different than the rest of the world on Luca, but that's for another uh, day. No, no, I don't think I don't think you are. I mean, I've heard a fair amount of criticism, and I've heard reports of his teammates aren't really fond of playing with him and all of that. And I, and I could see that because he doesn't really play a whole lot of defense. I think some of the things he does on on a court that offensively that are just so electrifying that I kind of love and I, I gravitate towards. So. Um, I, I really think there is a little bit of a split in the NBA world on uh, Luka Doncic. I just happen to be on the side that really loves him. I mean, he's he's fine. He's talented. I think he's probably a sometime all-star player. 
but I don't think he's Trey Young. I don't think he's Steph, Donovan Mitchell, Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal. I don't think he's on their level. I think eventually Anthony Edwards may actually even pass him on that totem pole. But anyways, we can fight about that another day. All right. But you you took the jazz in that one. So that yeah. leaves us with our four five, the Grizzlies and the Nuggets. This would be an extremely entertaining series, especially if, you know, Jamal Murray's back and is fully healthy and ready to go. Um, and I, I suspect that he will be uh, back soon and fully healthy and integrated and ready to go. I think that really just helps out this team so much. He's another ball handler, another shooter. It's fine when the the Denver offense flows completely through Jokic. It works out really well. Um, But Jamal Murray just kind of adds another element. He's a guy who can explode for 50 points. He's very similar to Donovan Mitchell in that way. Um, I think – I think uh, Denver would win this series. I, I love Memphis. I love Ja, but I think Denver would win this series. So that leaves us with the Nuggets at the Warriors. Denver going to do it again. My boy Jokic going to run through the Warriors. Oh, man. He, he would have a distinct advantage inside. That is the one flaw that the Warriors do have. They Their interior defenders are – you know, Kavon Looney, who's six eight, and Draymond Green, who's six seven. Unless James Wiseman comes back and they want to throw James Wiseman out there, um, but I don't think they really have a whole lot of confidence in James Wiseman in a playoff setting. Uh, so Denver would have a distinct advantage inside. That I think that would be something that. If anybody is going to beat the Warriors in the Western Conference playoffs, it's going to be a team that can pound the ball inside like the Nuggets can. Um, I think Steph, Clay um, are maybe just a little bit too much for the Jokic-Murray combo, but this has the feeling of kind of like a seven-game thriller. Um, I'll take the Warriors in seven. And then we've got the, she said the Warriors in seven. And then we got the Jazz. And where did you end up on the Lakers, Suns? Lakers? I took the Lakers. Okay. So you've got Jazz and Lakers and what feels like the two, two most different teams. But what say you? Who's going to meet the Warriors for the finals or Western Conference finals? I, well, here right? I am. Such a strange yet. matchup. It's a very strange matchup, and so much of it comes down to um, how much you believe in, like, the team the team dynamic that uh, Utah plays with. I mean, they have Donovan Mitchell who can take over a game at any given point in time, but they really play good team ball. It, it's kind of similar to, I think, this year's Utah team is very similar to last year's Phoenix team um, in a lot of ways. And I think maybe this is Donovan Mitchell's Devin Booker moment where we go, oh, he's actually a superstar. So I'm going to take the Jazz in this one. It's going to be hard fought. It's going to be seven games. But Utah in that seven-game scenario, 
man, I'm picking against LeBron in a game seven, Ooh. and I hate, I hate myself for it. But I'm taking the Jazz. I'm going out on a limb in this one, and we're going to get a Jazz Warriors Western Conference Finals. And you've got the number one seed Warriors and the number three Jazz. Can the Jazz finally get over the mountaintop here? Always a bridesmaid, never a bride for the last five or six years. Yeah, and I think I think they can. Um, I think, strangely, they match up better against the Warriors than they do against the Lakers because the Lakers have guys like Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard and um, DeAndre Jordan that they can throw at Gobert and other big men that Utah have and can th- roll out there. Um, but I see Gobert just kind of having his way. Um, I think Golden State would, you know, maybe do some things, get Gobert switched into some, like some pick and roll scenarios where he has to guard Steph or Clay out on the perimeter. And obviously that's going to be very tough for him to do. Um, but I think Utah can also kind of go small ball a little bit as well. Um with playing like an undersized lineup and matchup. They also have Whiteside that they can bring in off the bench. Um, they just got a lot of options and a lot of depth that I really like. So I, I think, I think we're going to get a, a Utah Milwaukee NBA finals. Nice. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting. Of course, I would be all right with being wrong as I think a Warriors-Bucks finals or Warriors-Nets finals, Warriors-Bulls. Um, I think I think any finals involving the Warriors, the Bucks, the Nets, the Bulls, the Jazz, the Lakers, I think any combination of those teams is going to be probably the most intriguing or enticing matchup from my perspective. And that does feel, I think we've been in this for a couple of years now, especially last year and this year, where it's very wide open. We got a couple of years of, okay, the Warriors versus whichever team LeBron is on. Cool. Now it feels much more wide open. There doesn't feel like a truly dominant team. I think there's some great elite teams that will rise to the top, but it feels very wide open and a lot of fun matchups from some new blood in the finals. You're right. And, I mean, those Warriors-Cavs matchups and – and all that were plenty of fun in their own ways, but we saw it so many times. I really like where we're at in the NBA right now, where we've got a few teams and who knows who's going to rise to the top. You've got a solid five or six teams that you think could win it all. And it's just going to make May and, and June all that much more fun to watch. And before we give about a minute or two here on college basketball, this is going to be our trivia game. I feel like I haven't done trivia with you in a while. Not sure right. if this is not sure if this is too tough or not, but can you name the top ten points per game scorers currently in the NBA? Steph. Correct. He's number five. Kevin Durant. KD is one. Giannis. Steph is one. Giannis is four. So and yeah. KD one, Giannis four, Steph five. We're assuming you're not looking. I can't see you on camera, so I'm just assuming you're. No, I'm not looking. Luka Doncic. Incorrect. Where is Luka at? Hmm. He may be a little farther down. He hasn't played enough. I think he may be the way this table's filtered. 
Uh, DeMar, DeMar DeRozan's up there. DeMar DeRozan is sixth with 26.9. Yep. Um, Zach Levine has to be up there. Zach Levine in eighth, 26.3. Uh, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid right there. between them, number seven. Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell at number 10. Ja- LeBron. LeBron is at number two, 28.6. He has played yeah. a few. Just kidding. And he and Embiid are lowest on this list for games played. Ah, I gotcha. Um, Harden, James Harden has to be in there somewhere. He is all the way down at 23. Must be sharing the ball a little bit more this year. Only 22 mm. points per game. Not so much sharing the ball um, as much as he's uh, not getting the foul calls that he's used to because of the yeah. NBA's new point of emphasis. So that's really tanked. Is John Morant up there anywhere? Where was John Morant? Uh, he is 12th. How many of the 10 do I have so far? How many am I missing, actually? You're missing probably... two. And these these are all big-name guys. I kind of thought there may be some weird outliers there, but I think Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan may have been the hardest one. Uh-huh. Oh, just kidding. I completely – well, you, it's still not in the top 10, but Luke is only at 13. I thought it was – but, like, I don't think you would have guessed Shy Gilgis Alexander. He's at 22. Jalen no, Brown's at probably... 16. Paul George is at oh, 14. Who knew Paul oh, George was having such a good year? I know. I'm missing Jason Tatum. You are, but he's at 11. He's a tenth of a point behind Donovan Mitchell. Ah, uh, got it. Um, Trey Young. Trey Young is at number three, 28.4 points. Yeah. Um, I'm missing one still, huh? You're missing one. Let me know when you want clues. Oh, boy. Bradley Beal. Incorrect. Bradley Beal is 17th. Oh, Devin Booker. Incorrect. Devin Booker's at 19. Jokic. Jokic. Jokic is at number nine. There we go. 25.7. I think you almost named the entire top 20 by the time we hit the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I was dancing around Jokic. Were, I, uh, I, mean, I think of him so much as a passer. I forget he's such a great scorer as well. I watched a highlight reel of him the other night, and it, his highlight reels are even kind of boring because you just watch him, and you're like, how, how do you make this work? It's so, like – slow and lumbering and methodical but then he just scores and pours it in like how is this how is this how you play basketball yeah it's a it's very interesting to watch unfold and it's very silent and subtle the way he goes about it it's not a it's not allowed he when he puts up a triple double it's kind of one of those things where you look up at like the last minute of the game and you realize oh he's got a triple double you don't realize it in the moment with the way he, he does it kind of, he's not going to throw down big thunderous dunks. He's not going to make a bunch of dribble moves and then hit a three in, in a guy's face or anything like Steph does. He's basically just going to hit the wide open shots and maybe hit a few contested jumpers, make a few post moves and uh, dish out some really nice passes from like the high post or the low posts back out to shooters. So it's uh, you're right. It's really methodical, but it's also a little bit fun and, and nice. It's he's kind of like a modern Bill Walton a little bit with his game. Right. Except for a much longer career. Yes. Thankfully, a much longer career. All right. We will have NBA here every couple of weeks when Andrew's on and get some of our other guys more into NBA mode now that we're coming out of football and we're all watching a little bit more basketball. 
Uh, I have watched next to no college basketball so far this year. It's kind of a January, February pick up the sport for me. But looking at the rankings, nothing too surprising, I think, based on the preseason. We're just really getting into the meat of conference play now. Everybody's done feasting on the non-conference schedule for the most part. But you've got Baylor sitting at the top, undefeated there, number one. Duke, number two. Purdue, Gonzaga, UCLA, Kansas. USC at seven. Arizona, Auburn, and Michigan State round out the top ten. I don't know about that. That's all that's surprising. Maybe USC at 7, 12, and 0, I think, after Evan Mobley graduated. Or not graduated, but got drafted. Thought maybe they would fall down. Auburn, it's always weird to me to see Auburn doing well. I think maybe USC, Auburn, Iowa State, Houston, maybe the only surprise is a lot of this looks so far kind of like it's chalk and the usual suspects. But you've watched far more games than I have. So what have you seen out of college basketball so far? Well, when you talk about surprises, I mean, Iowa State's obviously the biggest surprise. Pick to finish last in the Big 12 Conference and being 12-1 and one right now. They may still get one. there, though. Played a cupcake non-conference schedule. Yes. Um, I mean, they did play a good Xavier team. They played a Memphis team who's supposed to be good. Um, Iowa's a decent team as well, and they took care of them. Although Keegan Murray was injured in that game, so – uh, I, I think Iowa State still wins that game, but Keegan Murray wasn't his best self. Um, but they're still the biggest surprise, and I don't think they're going to finish um, last in the Big 12. I'm actually watching their game unfold as we're doing this podcast against Texas Tech, and they're taking care of business against Texas Tech at home right now. So um, I think they're, they're maybe like the, this third or fourth best team in the Big 12 is where they could end up. Um, so there, you're right. It's uh, not a lot of surprises going on. Um, Purdue did lose to Wisconsin this week, uh, so they're moving down a little bit. Uh, USC actually brought back everybody but Evan Mobley, so they brought back the core of a team that went to the Sweet 16 last year. Uh, Michigan State was bad last year, and they're they're back this year. Um, Houston actually was in the elite eight last year and they brought back, uh, some guys from that team and they brought in Kyler Edwards from Texas tech. Who's really boosted them. So, um, those, those teams are, are kind of where I expected to be. Things are kind of where I expected them to be. Uh, Baylor's number one again, but they aren't like the dominant Baylor that we saw last year. So, um, if you're thinking that they're the dominant team that we saw last year, they're just going to rumble through and, and win it all again. I mean, they could definitely win it all, but they're not um, dominant to the level that they were last year. And doing a quick, uh, I made a word there, doing a quick scroll through the rankings, some of the teams that kind of on the other end of the spectrum make you look sideways, Michigan towards the bottom, barely a 500 team. I think they make a deep run last year. I thought they were supposed to be very good, and I don't know what's going on there. Both the Oregon schools, Oregon just above 500, Oregon State down at 3-10. and 10. We remember their Cinderella run last season. Uh, nothing really in the SEC that stands out in the other conferences that really shock me. But those are kind of the three. Michigan's one that really surprised me. Hey, wait, what's going on here? I thought they were a top-10 team, but maybe I was just wrong. Yeah, um, their, uh, their current record has really surprised me as well. I've watched them play a couple times, and um, – their guard play is actually really poor. They don't have a good lead point guard. And that's something they've had the past couple of years where they've been able to rely on a good point guard. 
last year they had uh, Mike Smith, who was a, a nice transfer point guard that could run the show from them and hit shots from the outside. This year they've got Devontae Jones, and it's basically no secret that he can't he can't shoot, and he's not the facilitator that they've had in years past at that point guard spot. Uh, they still have Hunter Dickinson inside, and uh, he's still dominant, but they they don't really have the pieces around him um, to make it work. They've been hit with some injuries. They've been hit with some COVID issues, as has every team. Um, but it's surprising to me that they didn't really have the depth to um, take care of all that as they had one of the best recruiting classes in the nation coming into this season I thought they would be um, they would be much closer to a championship contender at this point, and they're just they're just not that. Um, so you're right, Michigan has been a, a very much a surprise here in the early going. Um, we'll see where they're at in a couple months. I think they'll be turned around and, and probably in the NCAA tournament. I don't think they'll be one of the favorites to win it, though. So. The West Coast Conference, home to Gonzaga. San Francisco is 13-1. and Gonzaga's 11-2. and Would you like to be the first person to officially declare that San Francisco will dethrone Gonzaga as the Western West Coast Conference champions? Absolutely not. Um, <laughs> absolutely not. So uh, I think Gonzaga is going to do what they always do and, and dominate that conference. And uh, I'm not even sure that BYU, um, San Francisco is the second best team in that conference. That usually belongs to BYU or St. Mary's. And I think that'll probably play out again in the West Coast Conference as well, where uh, you see Gonzaga one and BYU and St. Mary's and everybody else fighting it out for that second spot. One more question before we get out of here tonight. What is your pick in the college football national championship game that will air next Monday night between Alabama and Georgia? Well, okay. Before we get to that, uh, one last note about college basketball. I I just got to give a shout out to Keegan Murray. He's leading the NCAA in scoring. I'm a big Iowa fan. I think it's incredible that we could have another potential first team All-American, a potential national player of the year after having Luca Garza go back to back with the first team All-American award um, and then win national player of the year. Those kinds of things just don't happen at Iowa basketball. So I feel like I got to call it out. And also um, if you've never watched him play, he's going to play Wisconsin on Thursday night at eight o'clock. If you haven't watched any college basketball, you should watch that game because Wisconsin has this guy named Johnny Davis, who is kind of doing something similar to Keegan Murray, where he played like a six man role last year average maybe seven or eight points a game and is now throwing up like 24 points a game and is probably a lottery pick and Keegan Murray's getting love as a lottery pick as well. It could be a nice matchup. I don't know how the game will go, but it'll be a good matchup between Keegan Murray and, and uh, Johnny Davis on Thursday night. So um, if you want to tune in watch a couple of guys who are, essentially carbon copies of each other go at each other. It's going to be an interesting fight. So, um, and then my pick for the college football national championship. I, I heard some talk today 
um, that maybe Georgia wasn't the most motivated in the SEC championship because they felt like they had a playoff spot already wrapped up. And what they did to Michigan was really, really impressive to me. Um, I think, I think Georgia gets their revenge against Alabama on uh, Monday night, next Monday night. So I, as a Michigan fan, that game hurt my heart. It was over in the first seven minutes, but my hatred of Alabama is too much to overcome. So go Georgia. Rarely in my life will I ever cheer for Georgia in a sporting event, but go, go Bulldogs in that one, take down the Crimson Tide. I think that defense, if the defense plays like they did every game except Alabama, I think Georgia should roll them. So go Georgia. I think we both want the same thing there. Yeah. Good, good call out on the college basketball players. I still have no idea who Keegan Murray is, but whenever I talk to somebody from Iowa, they really want to make sure I know who, who he is. And the top three scorers in college basketball right now, all Big Ten guys. You add in Kofi Coburn to that group from Illinois, a guy who I think was kind of considered a potential player of the year. So Big Ten basketball starting off strong. Yeah, and um, Keegan Murray, actually the similarities between he and Johnny Davis go further than they're just both lottery picks putting up a lot of points. They're actually both twins. And their twin brothers are on the team with them. Chris Murray plays at Iowa, and then uh, Jonathan Davis, uh, Jordan, sorry, Jordan, Jordan Davis plays for uh, Wisconsin as well to a lesser extent than Johnny. So it's it's really kind of interesting, the similarities between those two guys. And then Keegan Murray is the – Keegan and Chris Murray are actually younger sons of uh, Kenyon Murray, who was – a big player for Iowa in like the early nineties. And the reason why he, he, Kenyon Murray ever came to Iowa was because of Chris street. Um, So people who are listening to the podcast probably know who Chris street is, um, but that's why Kenyon Murray came to Iowa. And then subsequently his sons came to Iowa because of that relationship that Kenyon had with Iowa. So kind of a cool story there. So that's why people want you to know who Keegan Murray is, not just because he's an awesome basketball player, actually kind of a cool story is about his dad and how he got to Iowa and all those things. Those are the fun little nuggets that we want to bring here every week on the show. Something you're not going to hear everywhere else. These fun little stories and nuggets of sports news that make us love the games that we love. We thank you all for joining us here on episode 41 of the Sports Gospel. Find us on sportsgospel.com, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts. We'll be back with you next Thursday night where we will do a big NFL playoff preview show and look back on the NCAA football championship game where we all hope Georgia won big. Thank you all, and we will see you next week.